Blog Talk Radio. great way to start off the show. This is Thomas Watts, and we are having technical difficulties again. Thank you, Blog Talk Radio. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to tear into our help files because this just got dropped on me. I can either add Carrie and Drew or call Blog Talk. I cannot do both, which is obviously very unfortunate. I'm going to tear into the help files and see what I can do. Until then, please just enjoy the music, and we apologize for the delay.
Again, folks, uh, this is Thomas Watts. I do apologize. Uh, we have had some technical difficulties, and I am actually in a chat with one of the support folks trying to get this solved. Uh, I do hope that you would be so kind as to stay with the show. I will be tweeting when we get going. I, I, I apologize again. I hope you just enjoy the music I'm going to be playing as I try and solve this.
Okay, folks, I'm going to offer a brief explanation here as to the problem. Apparently, Microsoft updated their Skype, and in doing so, completely changed how we have to interface with Blog Talk Radio. I'm trying to get the hosts on through the new way, and it's, it's just something I apologize. We're trying to do a little tap dance. We're going to get the show going as fast as we can. Until then, just I hope you'll bear with us. We'll be tweeting when we get going. It shouldn't be more than 10 more minutes. Again, I appreciate your patience and very much so apologize.
hey, fans, uh, I apologize again. We're getting this straightened out. It shouldn't be much longer. The tech support for Blog Talk has been excellent. Just one more song, hopefully, and we should be able to get going. We do still have Redfish set up for you, and we do have plenty to talk about. So, again, thank you very much for hanging with us and helping, helping, excuse me, being patient with us. We do sincerely apologize, but here's a little more music, and we should be able to get going with the show.
Uh, okay, fans, this is Thomas again. Uh, this has been one of the crazier 20 minutes of my life. Uh, I think, I think I have Carrie. We're, we're trying to get this, this completely sussed out. Carrie, can you hear me and can you talk back? Can, can you, are you, are you able to talk? That is a no. Okay. I'm going to play another song, and I think we're just going to pull an end run around this, and I might get the other host to just call in this time, because this is completely insane. I, I love the colorful
Okay, fans, this is Thomas again. Uh, again, this has been a very frantic 24 minutes. And for those of you that have been just listening to the music, thank you very much for sticking with us. We have had a lot of technical difficulties. I'm here to give you a little bit of an update. I have one of the two hosts in queue, which is good, because now I just need to work on the other host. I, I would let Carrie solo riff, but I don't want to force him to do that, because to be quite honest, all three of us are a little frazzled. Uh, Microsoft, to explain one more time, Microsoft updated Skype and that's changed some things with Blog Talk Radio, and we didn't know about it until five minutes beforehand, and so I've been trying to solve a problem mid-show. But again, thank you very much for everyone that is sticking with us. I'm going to play one more song, and hopefully I'll be able to get Drew on with us, and we will start the show again. I say it again, and I cannot emphasize it enough. Thank you very, very much for sticking with us tonight. This is not normal, and we will have a gangbuster show for the rest of the evening.
Uh, all right. I, I've killed the music. Carrie, you are live. Do me a favor. If I can get you to riff for like minute and a half, I am working on getting fish on the line, and then I'm going to work on getting Drew on the line. Does that sound you good? You got it. Ready. Thank you. Let's I, will, I will get to work. You are okay, live. folks, again, uh, thank you, folks, for uh, your patience. It is 30 minutes after the hour, almost 31 minutes after, and uh, we have had some technical issues tonight. No fault of our own. Uh, Windows decided to change Skype and not tell anybody. But uh, we are slowly but surely figuring it out. Sorry for the half-hour delay. Uh, if need be, we don't have any problems stretching the show to 1030 tonight if the situation dictates it. We do have a window set up that allows us to do that. You're listening to BAM's radio, by the way. And uh, back behind the scenes, working his tail off to get Drew on, is Thomas Watts, our executive producer of Touchdown Alabama Magazine. Drew DeArmond of AlabamaIntel.com will join us shortly as soon as Thomas gets him onto the show. Uh, it took me a while to get in, but I'm here now. Kerry Clark here with Scout.com and BamaMag.com. Our plans tonight are to hear from William Redfish Barger of AlabamaIntel.com, who did attend this past Saturday scrimmage. And our plans after the top of the 9 o'clock hour, or 9 o'clock central, that is, uh, the top of next hour, we do plan to have about a 10-minute chat with the newest Alabama commitment, uh, which is 2016 uh, class defensive lineman Raquan McMillan out of Mississippi. Drew has arranged him to uh, call us shortly after the 9 o'clock hour. So that's kind of where we are right now on BAM's radio. Uh, as we speak, Thomas is efforting to uh, bring uh, William Redfish Barger uh, I on. I'm now Harry, told I do, that he I has do have him, yes. <laughs> I'm told by, yes, I'm told by, <laughs> that he hasn't. So <laughs> William Redfish Barger, welcome to BAM's radio. Hey, Kerry, how you doing, man? I'm doing good. We're uh, <laughs> Windows decided to uh, redo Skype and not tell us about it, so we're 30 minutes late. But hey, uh, we, we've had worse weeks than that. I am happy to say that everything sounds. Great. I'm not sure about that music. Drop that. <laughs> oh, Thomas! You hear that music, William? I do. I like that. Yeah, it's like the Thomas. Thomas is trying to get through on. I think when Thomas puts this on hold, is what caused something that blocked our radio to When he puts this on hold, I'm hoping that people can hear us. So I'm going to uh, just ask everybody to bear with us. I'll. Uh, Try to get rid of this. There it went away. Thank God. Oh, okay. I know what that is. I, I, okay. I have to put this call on hold to deal with Drew. So right. here's what I'm going to do. I am going to call Drew and put myself on mute on this call and handle it. I apologize that I've been messing with y'all's conversation. That was my bad. We never even got it started. But anyway, William, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing great, Kerry. How about you, man? Uh, getting better, I guess. Uh, 33 minutes after the hour, we're talking to... Uh, William Redfish Barger here on BAMS Radio. He's with AlabamaIntel.com. Uh, Drew DeArmond from that same site will join us momentarily. Our other co-hosts and I myself am Kerry Clark again with Scout.com and BamaMag.com. Well, let's start it off, William. Uh, you were uh, the only person on this show that was able to attend the scrimmage this past Saturday at Bryant-Denny Stadium. And uh, I think let's just get a general overview of what you saw, and then I'll ask you some specific questions. Well, I mean, I think first of all, before, you know, anybody gets too excited or, or too depressed about what I'm going to say, I think you have to put it into perspective. Number one, 
you know, it was very difficult to get a read on, you know, just how good the first-team defense was. Um, I think you have to throw the caveat out there. They were missing six starters, um, you know, off of the first unit. So um, I think you have to put a, a to-be-determined label on, on that first-team defense because of the absences due to, you know, suspensions and injuries. Um, and in that same light, I don't think you can, you know, get too excited about, you know, what I saw out of the offense, which, which was very positive. But because of the suspensions and the injuries to the first-team defense, basically what normally would be the second-team defensive line that the first-team offense was scrimmaging against was actually the third-team defensive line, if you follow me. Um, but they treated them like they were the third-team defensive line. And, you know, I, I thought that, you know, in, in the first four series, you know, with the first-team offense, both Coker and Sims got two series apiece. Um, you know, they, they both led, you know, two drives apiece for points. I think Sims had two touchdowns. Coker had a touchdown drive and then one drive for a field goal. But, you know, it, it was a, an interesting relation. Um, I didn't see either quarterback throw a pass any longer than 20 yards. There was a, a concerted effort to distribute the ball to the running backs out of the backfield. Uh, the wide receivers had a lot of, you know, bubble screen type plays. There was a lot of dump offs to the tight ends. Um, you know, in my opinion, the best player on the field Saturday was Kenyon Drake. Um, you know, the first team offensive line, you know, performed very well, in my opinion. Um, you know, as far as special teams goes, <clears throat> I'll be, I don't know if I, I should use the word shocked or befuddled if, if J.K. Scott doesn't end up being the kickoff guy. Um, I, you know, that, that guy's got a phenomenal leg carry. Um, you know, we were forced to sit in the lower level of the, the north end zone because there's some construction going on on the press box side of the stadium, we were told they're running a bunch of fiber optic and, and wiring stuff for the new TV studio in the north end zone. Um, so I got to sit behind J.K. Scott and watch him punt. And I've never heard a football make the noise that it makes when it comes off of his foot when he's punting. Uh, but where I was really surprised more than anything was every one of his kickoffs went out of the back of the end zone. Um, so you know, I saw a lot of positives. A lot of young guys were factoring in because of the, the injuries and suspensions to the older players. Uh, but, you know, very you know, normally that first scrimmage carry is kind of sloppy um, because it's the first one of fall camp. But I saw a lot of positives, to be honest with you. Yeah, and, and Drew and I will get to see the one this Saturday, which we're looking forward to that. But I'm going to continue to pick your brain on the one that you saw um, it was reported that Adam Griffith was four for five on field goal attempts and that the one he missed was something around 55 yards and the rain had started and he didn't have his normal holder. Now, who was the holder on the other four and who was the holder on the one he missed? Gary, I don't ever pay that much attention to special teams to answer that question, but I can, you know, verify your information. And, and I thought it was closer to a 57-yard attempt, but – you know, sitting in that end zone and, and being so low to the field, I, I normally like to sit about halfway up in the stands on the 50 on the press box side because you get the, you know, kind of the panoramic view of the field. 
But, yeah, Adam Griffin was very sharp on all of his extra points and his field goals. Um, that long one, you know, whether it was 55 or 57, probably came up two yards short, uh, short of the uprights. Um, and, again, he, he was very effective, um, you know, in his kickoffs as well, the difference being, you know, his kickoffs went two to three yards deep in the end zones versus J.K. Scott's going out of the back of the end zone. Okay. And uh, were the first team two guys back there on kickoff returns with the starters, was that still basically Christian running it and Landon blocking for him? Pretty much. Pretty much. Okay. Um, and, 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 you know, one of the highlights of the scrimmage for me, and, and I hate to pick on somebody that I think is going to end up being a, you know, an elite football player while they're at Alabama. But, um, you know, one of your local guys down there in Tuscaloosa um, got indoctrinated into SEC football in a very rude manner um, during the scrimmage. Speaking of Christian Jones, he absolutely decleated uh, the true freshman Keith Holcomb um, on a bubble screen on the, I guess that's the east, you know, side of the stadium opposite of the press box, um, you know, you, you want to sit there and say, you know, great play by Christian Jones, but, you know, Keith Holcomb's probably going to have his head on a little bit more of a swivel the next time he trots out there and sees a screen play. Yeah, as a former receiver, one of the, one of the funniest things always was uh, to put a crack back block on somebody. Was that pretty much what Christian did? A crack, a crack, black, a crack back block with a bonus. It, it was nasty. I mean, he, oh, poor Holcomb got ear hold. Okay, well, it happens. It happens, and like you said, he'll uh, he'll start using those eyes a little more now and, like you said, put the head on the swivel. All right, well, William, uh, I know your favorite thing to break down in, in scrimmages is, the is quite frankly, the big uglies. Uh, tell us what you saw on both sides of the line, offense and defense. Um, you know, I thought the, you know, the first-team offensive line um, did a very good job, you know, both in uh, run blocking and, and protecting Coker and Sims, you know, neither quarterback. You know, and take into consideration that was the, the third-team offensive line that they were out there pass-proing, but, you know, still some talented guys on that, that line. Um, you know, but neither quarterback was ever really stressed in the pocket. Um, you know, Sims had, you know, some some uh, series there where he would, you know, three where he was three for three. I think one series Coker was four for four before he had a an incompletion. Um, you know, once they came back out from the the weather delay, carry obviously, you know, things got a little bit sloppy. The ball was wet, the humidity was heavy, so that makes ball security and you know both throwing and catching the football that much more difficult. But Thought the offensive line performed well. Um, you know, on the other side of the ball with the makeshift first team defensive line. Um, you know, Jonathan Allen and DJ Petway picked up right where they left off in the eight eight game. They were very disruptive, very active. Um, you know, another highlight for me was actually seeing Reuben Foster uh, make it through his first, you know, collegiate scrimmage without knocking himself out or somebody else. Um, so, you know, I, I think, you know, a lot of people look at, you know, this suspension and injury situation as a negative, um, you know, especially on the defensive side of the football. But, you know, I, I look at it the opposite way. Um, you know, Sean Dion Hamilton's getting a ton of reps at, at inside linebacker next to Reggie Ragland. 
um, in the absence of Trey DePriest. Um, you know, Rashawn Evans is benefiting from Tim Williams being suspended, you know, behind Dylan Lee at the Sam linebacker spot. You know, Ryan Anderson is, is you know, getting a lot of reps along with, with Denzel, I mean, uh, uh, Xavier Dixon, you know, while Denzel Duvall's, you know, fighting back from his hamstring injury. Um, you know, with, with uh, Brandon Ivory, uh, you know, being suspended, you know, guys like Darren Lake and, and Josh Frazier are getting a lot of reps and playing time. So, you know, I think, you know, anytime somebody stumbles on the depth chart on the first team, it's certainly not something that you want to see. But at the end of the day, it gives younger guys, especially, you know, in the, in the case of the 2014 recruiting class that Alabama brought in, it's getting a lot of young guys, a lot of quality repetitions, you know, they're probably, in my opinion, 65 to 70% through with fall camp. Um, you know, school starts next week on the 20th. And, you know, the staff will dial practice back and start their West Virginia game prep. Um, but I think this has been a very productive fall camp. And, and so far, you know, there hasn't been any lo- anybody lost for a season in the injury. It's all been kind of, you know, nagging stuff that keeps people out for a week or two. We're going to get back to the scrimmage in, in just a second, William, but uh, I just got a personal Facebook chat question from a coworker who's also a first-time listener to BAMS Radio. I want to welcome him aboard. Uh, he would like for me to ask you, based on your sources, if or when Tim Williams will rejoin the team. Based on everything that I've told, you know, his suspension may go a little bit longer um, than the rest of them. Um, you know, I don't want to divulge, you know, medical and, and personal information, uh, you know, in relation to a current player. But, you know, it, it's kind of like uh, the cumulative effect, I guess, a good comparison would be to, you know, Kenyon Drake um, and some of the off-the-field struggles that he's had. You know, there isn't anything severe that I, I feel like I can say that it's got Tim Williams in jeopardy of being dismissed from the team. But I, I think a big, you know, indicator and something for everybody to watch is if you don't see him back on the team, whether he scrimmages or not on Saturday, I think that's probably already out the window. But if he's not back at by August the 20th when school starts, then I think you kind of have to start to put – you know, Tim Williams on the clock as far as being a factor on the 2014 team. Uh, I kind of refresh my memory, William. Was he a true freshman last year? Yes, he was. Okay, so he technically could redshirt this year. Uh, yes, not that you could. want to hear that, but technically he could. And quite frankly, he can't scrimmage Saturday because of the five-day acclimation rule. Um, exactly. So, he, he, we, you know, he, he will not be participating in any scrimmages and, and I, and I guess from what it sounds like, he'll be uh, lucky to even get on the bus for the first several games, if and when he comes back to practice. But it's, it's interesting to know that. There's been a lot of questions about it, and I appreciate you telling us what you could. And by the way, uh, Drew is going to call in as a, as a regular caller. Uh, he didn't get his Skype working yet, everybody, but he is going to be with us in just a few minutes. And Thomas is going to bring him on just like a, a caller, like how William called us in uh, a few minutes ago. So Drew will be with us in a minute. But while we wait on Drew... Uh, let's uh, talk a little bit about the skill position. Um, what did you see out of the secondary Saturday, William? 
Well, you know, Carrie, basically the the same song and dance, you know, back there. Um, you know, Bradley Silve was the starter at one corner, Cyrus Jones at the other. Um, you know, the dynamic changed a little bit once Geno Smith went down. Uh, you know, obviously Landon Collins is a fixture back there. You know, depending on whether it's a first and ten situation or a nickel package situation or a dime package situation, you know, you saw guys like Keno Smith and Jarek Williams and, and Nick Perry filter through there. Um, you know, the interesting thing to me was, you know, two true freshmen um, in Marlon Humphrey and Tony Brown um, spent a lot of time with the first-team defense, even though, you know, they kind of would start the, the scrimmage reps off as the, the second-team corners. Um, you know, in certain situations. And then when you get back to the safety spots, you know, you had guys like Hootie Jones and, and uh, Jabril Washington, uh, Ronnie Clark, um, you know, back there factoring in as well. But, you know, I think people made too much of the secondary struggles last year. You know, one of the, the truest and the old, you know, adages in, in football you know, the easiest way to improve your secondary play is to have a decent pass rush. And, you know, I think once, you know, Alabama gets guys like Jaron Reed and, and uh, A'shaun Robinson back, um, you know, I, th- I do think that this team has the ability and the potential um, to improve on a, you know, piss-poor pass rush last year that, that I think, you know, maybe exposed the secondary in certain situations where they actually had, you know, good coverage for the first two or three seconds that the ball was snapped. But, you know, you can't run around there and cover people for four and five seconds. Eventually they're going to get open. Um, you know, that was one of the, you know, the biggest things that I saw, you know, when I was a player at Alabama, everybody talks about how good George Teague and Antonio Langham and Tommy Johnson was, but, you know, Terry, you and I could have played cornerback back there when the quarterback only had two seconds to get rid of the ball before John Copeland or Eric Curry took their heads off. <laughs> oh, John, my old neighbor in Tuscaloosa. Well, uh, listen, uh, you've covered the defense very well. Let's move on over. And you've also covered the offensive line. Uh, and you, you did talk about Kenyon Drake. But talk about the other running backs, including halfbacks and fullbacks from Saturday. Let me jump in before you do that. I apologize, Redfish. I do have Drew on hold. Let's go in and get him live so we can get the show, you know, actually going. Forty-five minutes late, but I just wanted him to get into the conversation. Drew, can you hear me? Yes, Thomas. How you doing? Great. We have we have the panel after fifty minutes of hell. I have fixed it, sort of. So, welcome to the actual Babs Radio Show. Thank you for being patient. I'm going back into my production booth now. Yeah, uh, whether you, you know whether you know or not, the last twenty minutes did count. Uh, but anyway, uh, so I was twenty minutes late last week, and uh, anyway, we're all even <laughs> out here. Drew, it's good to have you. We do have uh, Redfish on with us. He, we both yeah. got going right around eight thirty, and uh, he's already covered the defense from Saturday and the offensive line. And he was about to get into what he saw from the running backs, other than Drake, who we know had a great day. So go ahead and pick it up there, William. You know, I mean, obviously Drake was a standout Saturday, both as a, a rusher and a receiver out of the backfield. And that's not to take anything away from, you know, T.J. Yeldon and uh, Derrick Henry. I mean, they both had, um, you know, very solid performances, you know, as well, in my opinion. Um, you know, when you get into the fullback position, 
saw was, you know, Jalston Fowler spent more time as a receiver out of the backfield um, versus a battering ram at the fullback position, lead blocking, um, you know, for the tailbacks. Um, you know, the, the, the tight end position, um, you know, O.J. Howard and, and Ty Flournery-Smith, you know, both caught several passes, um, you know, as you know, check down guys and dump off type situations. So, you know, they got a lot of touches. Um, when you get to the wide receiver spots, I, I felt like that Amari Cooper, Christian Jones, and Robert Foster, um, you know, kind of had the, the wow plays out of that group. And that's not to say that, you know, some other guys behind them, you know, didn't do well. Uh, you know, one of the main things that I noticed, you know, this is kind of a, you know, when a team gets off of the bus type moment, you know, when you start looking at this next wave of, of Alabama wide receivers, um, you know, guys like Robert Foster, Cameron Sims, Raheem Falcons, even the true freshman Derek Keith, you know, they're all six foot three, six foot four guys with, you know, enormously long arms um, that, that present matchup problems for cornerbacks. Uh, but, I, you know, I'm, I'm going to keep saying this over and over again. Um, you know, two guys that I really think, you know, have caught my eye going back to spring practice, and I don't think they're going to get enough reps except in mop-up duty to show it because of the depth in front of them. But I really feel like in 2015, you know, two of the breakout players that you need to keep your eye on are going to be Robert Foster and Audarius Stewart. Okay, well, before we get Drew going, we've got a caller on hold, and he's a first-time caller. Uh, he's, he's an old friend of yours, Fish. He's also a friend of mine. I'm not sure he knew I was on this show. But uh, many years ago at the Alabama-Mississippi All-Star game on the sidelines when uh, Antoine Odom and some other guys were playing, I met this gentleman. And then I met him again when I drove down to watch Trent Richardson play against his Bayou Debauchery team. And I think you know who I'm talking about. Uh, Sprinkle Bama, you're live on BAM's radio with CC Bama, Redfish, and Drew. What's up, Sprink? What in the wide, wide world of sports is going on? <laughs> What's going on, Sprink? Hey, look, I got, I got a three-part question. Good, good to hear you. I've been listening, and uh, great job. And I want to give a shout out to all my friends on Alabama Intel. But anyway, uh, you know I got many. <laughs> Uh, is the front seven going to be better tacklers than they were last year? That's A. B, are they going to be faster? Okay. And the C part of that question is, when will we know about what game will we be able to say, okay, our defense has improved? In other words, with the quality opponent, what, about what game will we be able to tell Okay, the Alabama defense is up to standards. And Rosehall, well, guys, I'm so ready for the season to start. I'm going to listen. I'm, 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 I'm going to take the last part of the question and let William answer the first two. But the the the, the C part is the Florida Gators, uh, no doubt about that. I know Florida, you know, has had their offensive inefficiencies and difficulties, but there's no doubt that they're going to have the talent and ability. I don't think there's any doubt Driscoll has some talent. And it will be interesting to see what Kurt Roper can do, but we'll know how good a football team or if Alabama is an elite football team when they play Florida and Bryant D Stadium September the 20th. Now at Williams, I'm going to take a different approach. And, and to be honest with you, Spring, um, 
I'm, I'm pointing to the West Virginia game to see some of the improvements um, on, on the, the defense. Number one, I think they're, they're closer to a Oklahoma spread attack versus a Auburn and Gus Malzahn hurry-up-no-huddle attack. Um, you know, with Clint Trickett at quarterback, I mean, you know, he can't outrun, you know, me, Kerry, Drew, or Eastbrink. Um, so, you know, he's not Nick Marshall. Um, the quarterback for West Virginia. But I think because of the way they spread people out um, and how they attack a defense, I think you're going to get a a good kind of first glimpse of the new streamlined defense that Nick Saban and Kirby Smart have done a very good job, in my opinion, of recruiting to um, in a very short fashion. Um, You know, with, with guys like D.J. Petway and Jonathan Allen along the defensive line, um, you know, right now, Sean Dion Hamilton is a true freshman, is proving that he's got the capability of being a, you know, a, a, a between the tackles downhill linebacker, but also having the ability to drop back in coverage. Um, you know, a guy from right up there in Huntsville by Drew that, that I know he's followed for many years. Uh, you know, Reggie Ragland hit it out of the park in the spring with the Alabama staff. Um, you know, finally, I think, putting it all together with his athleticism. Um, but I, I really think you're going to get a, a pretty good snapshot of the Alabama 2014 defense against West Virginia just because the type of attack that they have. Um, as far as Drew's comments on the Florida game, you know, and, and I could be wrong about this, but unless Kurt Roper is the quarterback whisperer and can do something with Jeff Driscoll, um, I don't think Alabama's challenge um, versus Florida in the third game of the season is, is going to be stopping that, that Kurt Roper attack that he brought from David Cutcliffe and Duke. It's going to be, you know, whether Blake Sims or, or Jacob Coker can dissect and, and you know, um, find their way through that a very talented Florida Gator defense in the third game of the season. And I agree with William on that point as well. It'll be a big-time test for the offense, their first big-time test. I'm not anticipating – maybe I will be wrong, but I hope not. I'm not anticipating much trouble out of West Virginia defensively. William, i got another question for you from my Facebook uh, private messages. Uh, You did talk about the offensive line as a whole, but this uh, gentleman wants to know specifically how is Ari Kwanjo looking to you? Well, you know – it's it's amazing because you know I think Ari has probably been the the most talked about you know fixture on the offensive line since you know that Oklahoma game um, you know last January um, you know when you go back to spring practice I think a lot of Alabama fans thought that he was going to be dispatched and replaced and you know carry the only two guys that I saw you know in spring practice that took 100 percent of the reps at their respective positions were Ari Kwanjo at left guard and Ryan Kelly at center. I mean, even Austin Shepard, who, in my opinion, is the most complete offensive lineman coming back this year, you know, spent some time flip-flopping between right tackle and left tackle. You know, in the scrimmage Saturday, Ari took all the reps at left guard once again. Um, I think the Alabama coaching staff, um, you know, kind of zeroed in and focused on Leon Brown more so than Ari being a, 
a kind of a finesse player at the point of attack and, and maybe set their sights on him uh, more so than Ari. Uh, you know, Shank Taylor has, 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 you know, kind of nailed down that starting right guard spot. I think it's going to be interesting to see Saturday um, if, if Leon Brown is able to scrimmage or not. If he doesn't, then I think you've got your answer about who's going to be the starter versus West Virginia. Um, but, you know, you know, I think a lot of people have discounted, you know, what Ari brought to the table last year. I think it's a great story from the standpoint that, you know, he's come back from having two uh, genetically defective knees, um, you know, maybe having him and his brother over on that left side of the offensive line last year might not have been the most productive thing. But, again, he took all the reps in the spring. He's taken all the reps this fall, and he's going to be your starter at left guard versus West Virginia. In, in a lot of ways, William, I, it's, 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 it's really weird to say, but it may not have been a good thing that they were on the same OL. <laughs> I totally and, agree. Know, may, maybe Ari will do better. Maybe you'll have a uh, – I'll, I'll bring a blast from the past. Maybe you'll have a Danny Mark senior season. Uh, well, you know, but, you know, Drew, I, th- I think one thing you have to look at is, you know, Ari had a year last year to start and, and get seasoned. So, yeah, for Mario Cristobal, and you're breaking in a uh, franchise left tackle in the making and Cameron Robinson, you know, you need somebody next to big Cam Robb that's experienced and is battle-tested. Even though, you know, Ari struggled at times last year, he's still got, um, you know, a lot of starts under his belt. So if you, you know, pull him out and plug somebody else in, um, even though they might be a little bit more healthy or, or a little bit more, you know, ceiling or upside potential talented than Ari is, you're putting two inexperienced guys on the left side of the line. And I think that's something that Mario and, and Coach Saban are thinking about as far as, you know, breaking in a guy um, that the Alabama coaching staff thinks and Cameron Robinson has a chance to be a three-and-done ta- uh, talent at left tackle. And from some reports that I've gotten, maybe one of the best all-time offensive linemen in the history of the Alabama program. Yeah, and the thing that excites me offensively too, William, and and I and I will always be a big Coach Mack fan. I was glad to see him get that contract extension, you know, this week five years, and that Colorado State has got that program already on the right track. But I'm excited about Lane Kiffin as a play caller, especially after what you revealed uh, this past uh, weekend. I'm anxious to see that. I'll be anxious to see that this coming Saturday. Uh, you know, I think he's going to spread the football around. I like what he did with Kenyon Drake. Uh, and I really like what I heard uh, the, from what the ESPN crew uh, said when they left today. Basically, from uh, the, the tweet from Chris Walsh, very good beat writer, they, basically the look on their face was, are you kidding me? And uh, basically when they saw all the talent. And I'm just excited to see what he's going to do offensively with all the weapons he's got. Uh, you know, I, I know that it's well documented. There's people talking about what happened at USC the last couple of years. But I think you, you could say yourself that, when you have scholarship sanctions and your talent level dips, even in somewhere like Southern California, that can have a lot to do with it. Plus, you know, uh, he, he they had injuries the last two years, and uh, as well, a lot of injuries in Southern California. But I'm anxious to see as a play caller what Lane Kiffin can do. Yeah, and I totally agree with you about Coach Mack. Um, 
he's probably outside of Joe Pendry, he's probably my you know, most you know, assistant coach of the Nick Saban era. Um I think he brought a a knowledge of, of play calling and, and getting guys in a position to make plays at certain positions that, you know, their skill set led you know, led them to be at that spot. Um, hated to see him go. Certainly happy for him to have the opportunity that he's got at Colorado State. You know, if he has, despite the, the five-year contract extension that he just had, you know, if he has one more good year at rectifying a bottom-dweller program in Colorado State, he's certainly going to jettison up to the top of the list of, you know, guys at smaller programs that are going to look at, at bigger programs as far as getting a head coaching job elsewhere. And, you know, again, I wasn't excited about, you know, the Lane Kiffin hire. Um, I felt like the, the off-the-field baggage outweighed the production that I've seen from him um, at USC. Um, you know, I felt like he did do a good job with Jonathan Crompton and, and, you know, the tight end Luke Stocker while he was at Tennessee. But um, I just felt like it was a high-risk, low-reward hire by Nick Saban to bring him in. But, again, you know, what I saw Saturday um, – was basically all the complaints that the Southern Cal fans had out of Lane when he was their head coach and, you know, de facto play caller, um, you know, two years ago. Um, you know, he distributed the ball very well to the playmakers. Um, like I was telling Kerry Drew before you jumped on, I never saw Coker or Sims throw a pass longer than 20 yards. But, if you can complete a three- or a four-yard pass to Kenyon Drake or Amari Cooper and they're capable of making a 40-yard gain with their feet after the catch, why take the risk of throwing the ball down the deep middle of the field? I agree completely, and I'm anxious to see, you know, the the offense evolve, anxious to see O.J. Howard evolve. Uh, and, I, and I guess uh, one, 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 one question for me um, – what did you – I know we talked about the starters, but, you know, lately the second unit on the offensive line has, you know, lacked talent, and it's obviously been a big drop-off. The little bit you saw the twos, uh, are there some guys coming along in your opinion? Oh, absolutely, I think there is. And, you know, the most intriguing thing to me about the whole scrimmage, and, and you and I have talked about this in private, um, you know, before the injury to Dominic Jackson, you know, the second-team offensive line read this way from left tackle to right tackle. It was Ross Pierce-Bacher, um, Brandon Green, Bradley Bozeman at center, Dominic Jackson at right guard, and Grant Hill at right tackle. And when Dominic Jackson went down with his injury, it looked like, uh, you, know, uh, you know, musical chairs, you know, in elementary school. Um, you know, Pierce-Bacher went to center. Bradley Bozeman uh, went to right guard. Um, Brandon Green went to left tackle, and they brought Isaac Lewitua off the bench to, to left guard. And, you know, I think that's probably one of the, the least talked about stories of, of the fall camp is despite all of the, you know, super talented interior offensive line players that Alabama brought in in this last recruiting class, you know, Bradley Bozeman has quietly established himself as the second-team center. 
Um, you know, when you, when you look at, you know, them moving Pierce Bacher from left tackle to center and he went to right guard, you know, obviously Mario Cristobal is looking at him as a swing guy in the same mode as Alfred McCullough a few years ago. Um, you know, in a perfect world, Drew, I wish that, you know, Mario Cristobal and, and Nick Saban would redshirt the whole 2014 offensive line class, including Dominic Jackson. Yeah, true. Um, you know, you know, and you might see a different thing Saturday when you're out there. You might see a Josh Casher, um, you know, or a J.C. Hassan hour factor in on that second team offensive line. But from what I saw Saturday, it's probably not going to happen. Um, you know, Pierce Bocker's probably got the. I, I put him in the same situation that Grant Hill was in last year. Um, he's probably got the God-given ability to play SEC football this year. But at the, the end game, you know, final analysis, is it really worth burning a year of his eligibility when he's not quite ready for prime time? Um, and, you know, they're, they're looking at him as a, as a swing guy. And, you know, from watching him play left tackle, um, I think it's a bit of a stretch for him. I think he is more of an interior guy. Um, so that's going to be a very intriguing and interesting storyline for me is to see how, you know, Coach Cristobal and Nick Saban, you know, put the pieces together with that backup offensive line going into the West Virginia game. Absolutely. And I'm going to let Kerry come back in. But one other thing that I hope happens, and I know we went over the, the talent and the depth, but, after seeing our Darius's improvement, and I think you know Robert Foster obviously coming off the red shirt, Chris Black, you know finally getting into the rotation. I hope uh, Derek Keith, Cameron Sims, and even Falcons all red shirt. Falcons, you know, played a little bit last year. I'd like to see all three of those guys held out because I think the top six, barring injury, uh, is as stacked as it's ever been. No, and I totally agree with you. And I, I'll tell you this much: based on what I saw. Um, you know, let, let's not kid ourselves. There's a reason that, you know, Kirby Smart had our Darius Stewart, you know, play scout team quarterback. He, you know, even though our Darius was a Wildcat quarterback in high school, you know, there's a reason that Kirby Smart had our Darius Stewart play Johnny Menzel and, and Nick Marshall, you know, on the scout team last year. And, you know, I think he has quietly positioned himself to be a guy um, you know, along with Robert Foster, I think he's already shown enough, um, you know, last year on the scout team and, and what he did in spring practice and what I saw him do last Saturday. But, you know, our Darius Stewart is a guy that, you know, he plays the same position as Chris Black. Um, you know, he's kind of a slot wide receiver guy. He's not the long rangey guy that you want, you know, on the outside. And he's kind of a playmaker. Um, from the slot role. If I'm Chris Black and I've seen what our Darius Stewart has done in the spring and, and, you know, during fall camp so far, I'm a little bit nervous about being the heir apparent to the slot wide receiver role going into 2015. No doubt. I've heard our Darius ahead of it. Go ahead, Kerry. Well, and another question from uh, my own instant message on my cell phone. You did talk a little bit about how both quarterbacks started off pretty hot, William, but overall from start to finish of the top two quarterbacks, how was their accuracy and how was their decision-making? Um, I thought 
you know, from an accuracy and a decision-making standpoint, Kerry, I mean, again, I don't think Lane Kiffin, um, you know, asked either one of them to, um, you know, be the safety, you know, in bracket coverage and a cornerback on a post pattern very often 40 yards deep down the field. Um, you know, what I saw after seeing, um, and, and, you know, Drew will tell the listeners this better than I can, I'm a huge Blake Sims fan. Um, I, I've been screaming for, you know, the Blake Cat package, uh, you know, one series a half, you know, let him come in and, and, and run his own read and do what he's capable of doing for two years. Um, that being said, after seeing Jacob Coker live for the first time in my life Saturday, um, I can certainly see why, you know, Jimbo Fisher and a guy whose opinion I respect um, as much as anybody in the game of football and Phil Savage, I can see why Jacob Coker has, has had the hype, you know, attached to his name. I mean, he's a, you know, a pretty specimen at quarterback, you know, 6'5", 230, um, got a cannon for an arm. You know, you saw the the interview or, or the tweet interview that Joe Shad did with my, in my opinion, the best evaluator in the history of college football in Butch Davis. Um, you know, Butch Davis went out on a limb today after watching practice this morning and said that, you know, he feels like at some point in time this year, whether it's versus West Virginia or, or you know, to be determined going forward that Coker's going to be the starter that he saw him make five, you know, NFL lever throws today. Um, I saw that same type of potential out of him on Saturday. And I look at the decision that Nick Saban has to make like this in a simplified, you know, opinion. Do you give Blake Sims, you know, the guy that's put his time in um, for the last two years as the backup, the guy that, you know, probably some guys on the team want to be the starter, or do you go with the guy that's got the unlimited ceiling and, and you know, an untapped uh, upside in Coker that can make all the plays, that can kind of expand the playbook um, and make those deep throws over the middle of the field against an SEC defense? I think Nick Saban's got a tough decision in front of him. Um, you know, let's, let's don't, you know, forget or discount coming out of the A-Day game in 2011 a lot of people felt like Philip Sims was going to be the starter over A.J. McCann. So, Guilty. I, <laughs> well, again, and, and I, you know, I, I personally and, and from all my sources, even if Jacob Coker is named the starter, and I got a text message today from, you know, one of my best sources on the team that said that Jacob Coker, you know, made his moves in this morning's practice. He was – you know, from what I was told, he was lights out, made monster throws, and I think that's what, you know, the Joe Shad, Butch Davis, you know, report kind of was related to. Um, but, you know, even if Jacob is named the Coker, I mean, excuse me, if Jacob is named the starter for the West Virginia game, I still, based on everything that I'm hearing and I'm being told, I still think that Blake Sims is going to have a role on this team uh, in the offense as a quarterback, and I do think that we might see, um, you know, him actually have, you know, meaningful snaps, especially early on prior to, uh, you know, the Florida game, the third game of the season, before 
you might see things get shut off and, and it get turned over into the, you know, traditional Nick Saban pro-style offense. And I William, so. I, I think it's much deserved. Go ahead, Kerry. I believe we've got another caller on hold to talk to uh, Redfish. Uh, Will from Athens, you're on with Drew, Kerry, and Redfish. BAMS Radio. Hey, guys. Thanks for taking my call. Uh, just had a quick question for Redfish, and then I will hang up and uh, see what he has to say. Just listening with interest on the conversation on the offensive line, and I've been hearing some really good things about one guy in particular's development, um, Isaac Luatua. I've been hearing he might be pushing uh, Cam Robinson at left tackle. I'll just hear what Redfish has to say, and I'll hang up. Thanks, guys. Um, Can't tell if serious. Well, Will, um, I don't know who's told you that, but um, that's not going to happen. Um, Cameron Robinson is, um, you know, one of the most talented offensive linemen that's ever stepped foot into Tuscaloosa. Um, I've ne- never seen somebody um, come as far as he has so fast, both uh, on the field and, and what he's done with his body in a short period of time since he's been in Tuscaloosa. He was a, you know, an early enrollee in January, um, and. You know, from the first day of spring practice to the A-Day game, he went from looking like somebody that was uh, totally out of his element, um, should have been going to his high school senior prom, to, you know, nailing down that left tackle spot and hasn't looked back since. He, he's continued that progress and that development uh, throughout fall camp. Um, you know, Isaac Luatua is, you know, six foot one. 315 pounds. You know, he doesn't have the length or the athleticism to play left tackle. Um, you know, just for a comparison's sake, you know, Cameron Robinson is 6'6". Uh, probably after fall camp, he's going to be around 320 pounds. Um, you know, it's kind of an apples and oranges comparison. Um, but, you know, Isaac Luatua has been a, a career backup. Um, he's probably going to get passed by some of these younger guys that have developed. Um, but don't expect to see Isaac Luatua playing left tackle anytime soon for the University of Alabama. Well, I'll say this to uh, to give him his props. I want to thank Bama3737 for just calling his own shot at the TI meeting last night. Appreciate the call, Will. <laughs> oh, was that? Was that? Was that 3737 trying to <laughs> God, he's got to he's got to sharpen his game up a little bit. I mean, <laughs> hey, Will, I've tried to tell you this before. For a troll to be effective, it has to be somewhat believable. But congratulations <laughs> anyway. That was crazy. <laughs> I don't okay, know. Hey, hey, can I follow that question up? Can I give you one, William? Uh, in honor of Will. Is it more William? believable than that no, one? No, not really, not really. But, but William, would you say J.K. Scott is more like Tank Williamson or Hayden Stockton? Terry, <laughs> oh I'm going to tell you something, and you're going to be down there Saturday. I know you and Drew both are going to be there. And this isn't an insult to J.K. Scott, because, um, you know, you and I talked before Drew came on the show about, you know, obviously you heard me gush about his, his leg. But when you guys see him in person, and I don't know what his actual weight is, but he looks like he's about 6'3 to 6'4. 
I seriously doubt without his pads on, he weighs north of 150 pounds. But I have never seen a more unnatural-looking football player with with that kind of power and explosion in a kicking leg. I mean – I mean, I promise you guys, you know, and I, I saw some reports come out after the, the fan day open practice where he was booming punts. Yeah, I was there for that, William, and he was. Uh, he, he was consistent about 80% of the time on uh, averaging good hang time and over 40 yards, sometimes 50-yard punts. And you're right, he's about 6'4", 175. Yeah, that's, that's fine. Yeah, with his yeah. head down or off? <laughs> Oh. Uh, but, you know, again, I, I, that was one of the bright spots that I saw Saturday was, you know, because I think as Alabama fans, we've all kind of been beat down about, you know, signing one, you know, elite kicker after another. And, you know, they get to Tuscaloosa and they struggle and they don't produce. I think going all the way back to, you know, Nick Saban's first recruiting class when they brought in Corey Smith and he didn't stick around for six months left and went to West Virginia and had a pretty good career. But, you know, this young man has a cannon for a leg. Um, I watched him kick four punts and warm-ups. Three of them were 50 yards plus. One of them I think I actually saw that was 65 yards with great hang time. Um, You know, kicking the ball off, we talked about it earlier, Kerry. Every one of his kickoffs went out of the back of the end zone. So I think he's a guy – uh, and that's not taking anything away from Adam Griffin, who was very sharp Saturday. We've already talked about look, that. He was, look, I'd rather I'd rather Adam concentrate on field goals and extra points. I'm fine with J.K. kicking off. Well, I just hope that Nick pulls the trigger and, and lets him do it because, you know, there's been this conspiracy theory out there, Terry, for three or four years going back to the, you know, post-Lee Tiffin era. Um, you know, when Cade Foster took over, that they had this philosophy of, you know, sky kicking the ball and dropping it on the five-yard line. Um, you know, nobody's paying me $7 million a year to make this call, but, you know, football 101 dictates that the easiest way not to have a kickoff return, you know, returned on you for a touchdown is to take the Tommy Tuberville and Auburn approach and put it out of the back of the end zone. Not that there's anything wrong with that. Well, William, uh, we, we want to thank you for your time. You've, uh, you've been with us 50 minutes now, uh, and we do have our next guest already on hold, who is uh, the newest member of the Alabama family. But, William, uh, they can read about you or read your stuff on alabamaintel.com, and uh, we appreciate your time again tonight, and uh, have a good one, brother. Thank you, Kerry. All right, William, that was William Redfield-Barger from uh, alabamaintel.com. Uh, a regular here on BAMS Radio, giving us a first-hand view of the scrimmage. But next, we're going to be joined by the newest member of the Alabama football family, and I'm going to let Drew DeArmond go ahead and introduce our next guest. Absolutely, uh, Kerry. I appreciate that. Uh, you, know, I, it, 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 you know, it was kind of a surprise uh, earlier this week uh, when Alabama added their fourth member to the 2016 class. But he's a young man that uh, really came uh, burst onto the scene this summer as, as it happens in the recruiting process. Uh, this young man uh, uh, camped at Alabama both in June for the uh, OLDL camp and in July, came back in July, performed very well both times. We're honored uh, to have Meridian, Mississippi uh, defensive lineman Raekwon Davis join us on BAMS Radio. Welcome, Raekwon. How are you doing tonight? I'm doing great. How are you? We're doing good. Well, 
And like I say, Raekwon, our audience is just anxious to hear from you. So they kind of, they, they kind of, you know, they, they want to know some background because you're a guy that's kind of uh, new to everyone on the recruiting scene. But just kind of tell everybody, uh, your, uh, again, your high school, where you play, and uh, your height and your current height and weight, and, your, and, uh, and just a little bit about yourself as a player. Um, I, I go to Meridian High. Um, 2016 class. I weigh 309 right now. My height is 6'7". And um, what I like to do, I like to work on my technique and make plays. Absolutely. Well, and, and just kind of go into what happened with you because you're, you're a young man. That, uh, as your coach Weems, your head coach is dead. Is the light maybe coming on for you? You you're, you really you know, improved by leaps and bounds this summer. Just kind of talk about uh, your recruiting process and how it's kind of exploded for you this summer. Um, well, this summer it was like it was I had to grind just to put it out on the field. And, um, so I took it to account. So I just Kobo just got me on my technique and um, how to get on the college level where they at. And that was it. Yeah, and just uh, and, and 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 when you uh, I know you you. This is well documented, I think. But when you came to the OLD camp on OLDL camp on June the 14th at Alabama, was that your uh, first trip to the Capstone? Oh uh, yes, sir. And uh, just kind of talk about that experience and uh, and how it was for you. Um, it was like so David he was helping me on my technique and um and how I use my technique and um and like. I come off the ball in different ways. We were like, it was like drills we had to go through, and um, we had a couple one on ones, and then um, they they gave me offers and stuff like that. And and, so, and, and obviously uh, they offered you then. And uh, what what and why uh, what what went into your your decision process to come back in July? Um, just to see where I was at and see how the competition was. Two all came. That's all. this is Kerry Clark. I'm with uh, Scout.com and BamaMag.com. We we do appreciate you joining us here tonight on Bams Radio. Uh, tell us uh, right yes, now at this at this point in your career, uh, are you playing just defense or do you also play on the offensive line for Meridian? Uh, I play both offense, tackle, and defense. Okay, and your uh, right, position tackle. of choice in uh, college right now is defense. Is that right? Yes, sir. Okay. All right. That's cool. Do you recall a play? Uh, l- let's talk about defense. Uh, do you recall a play from your varsity career uh, w- where you would consider it maybe your hardest hit you made in a game? Uh, probably um, Brandon. And what happened on that play? Um, I was playing nose, and um, I think this soon – Center did something. He did some kind of move, and I and I did. I went to the um, the left for the swim move, and um, they were running towards the middle. And you got the running back. Yes, sir. All right. You kind of decleat him a little bit. <laughs> yes, sir. Something like that. All right. Go ahead, Drew. And Raekwon, I wanted to everybody just so everybody can can kind of know, you know, where you were in your recruitment. But talk about all the schools that offered you uh, in addition to Alabama this summer. Um, my first offer was Alabama. My second one was Ole Miss, and my third one Mississippi State, and my fourth one was South Carolina. 
Absolutely, and uh, and and, and I guess the the biggest thing is you you had to, from what I understand you can go into detail on it, but you had made your decision for a while to commit to Alabama. Uh, what what went into that decision to for you to choose the Crimson Tide, and what why uh, why did you wait for with that time period before announcing? Because you know, man, I, I got a good relationship with the team. It's like when I go down there, it's just it's just like home. They like family me already. And um, the coaches, they well. They they teach you things that um, that you need to know on the college level too when you want to go pro. But it, and um, again, at that, then the head coach, we we pretty we pretty cool. It's just like it's just like a big family down there, you know. Yeah, and talk about. I know you've got a. I, I hear you have a special relationship with a current Alabama player on the team. Who is it that you're very, very close to that you developed a great relationship with? Uh, Dominique Jackson. He, um, I think he right tackle. Uh, he yeah, left he, tackle. He, but yeah, he's he, he's been working at both actually and right guard. But he's he, yeah, uh, he got yeah, sprained an ankle last week. But so you you really do have a special relationship with him. Is that correct? Oh yeah, yes sir. And talk kind of talk about how that came about. Um, when I first came up there, no, that was my second my second time coming up there. We were um we was in a dorm, so we were heading out just wandering around the um, facility and um I I ran to him so he gave me his number. So we um we talked we hit we talked here and out sometimes and um he did tell me what's going down down there and stuff like that. And and I and I also I know you've already talked about it and how you coached you and, and uh, been able to help you improve your technique, but talk about, obviously, this is a big part of your early commitment, but talk about your relationship with Bo Davis. Um, he's, a, he's a great coach. He um, he was helping me on my techniques and my takeoff, and he was trying to help me where I want to be when I get up there. And, um, it, was, it was great working with him because I know he's a great coach, and he was trying to teach me well. He was trying to teach me the things he knows and things I didn't know, so it went great, and and also you got you had a chance to do something that many many young men won't get a chance to do, and that's get to know Nick Saban. Uh, talk about your relationship with Coach Saban right now. Uh, he's, he's a great head coach. Um, I talked to him like about two weeks ago on the phone. And, um, it went great. He was excited to have me down there when I come down, and. And obviously, uh, it, it, there's going to be some people asking you this, but uh, and you decided to at this point, you know, verbally commit early. But you know, in the state of Mississippi, with Alabama lately, it's been tough, you know, recruiting in that state. How, how firm would you say your commitment is to Alabama? Uh, uh it's it's a little strong right now. It's a little strong. And and now, now you come as far as you as you've come. As far as as a prospect, what do you think? I always ask this of every young man we have on every prospect, and I'll ask you: What do you think right now are, are your strengths as a player, and then what do you think you need to work on? Oh, I got a lot of things to work on because I know I'm not up there on the level that them boys are on working right now. So I'm still, I still got to work on my technique and um and make plays. I still, still got to keep doing the same thing because I know I'm not on that level. So I. I still got to be coached up on some things. 
Absolutely. And, and what do you think right now you you bring to the table as far as strength? Uh, I'm, a, I'm a little okay with it. I mean, I'm okay. I'm not decent, but I'm okay. Right. And and uh, and what do you uh, what are your expectations now for Meridian and yourself going into this your, your junior season? Um. Well, the make I mean, I gotta improve myself first thing, and um, I got still got work on my technique and um. Uh, and I just I got to I got to really hit the team this year. Yeah, absolutely, Raekwon. Well, I tell you what, Raekwon, man, we really appreciate you coming on BAMS tonight, and we're sorry Thanks. that it took a little bit longer. Uh, we got some technical difficulties, but we appreciate you uh, sticking around with us and and uh, coming okay. on. And I'll be the audience really enjoyed it, yeah. and uh, good luck to you this season. We'll be checking in on you. And uh, Roll Tide, thanks for coming Appreciate on tonight. Yeah. Thank you, Raekwon. Well, Drew, uh, we've got about uh, another half hour left on the show. We can extend it, I guess. Thomas has got it blocked in until about 1030, which is good. But I understand we've uh, had a caller on the hole for a while, and I want to go ahead and bring him on. I believe this might be Jared from Hoover. You are correct, Jared. Oh, man. Go ahead, Jared. Hey, Kerry. What's, What's going up, on? That was playing a, on the radio. That was a good. Um, that was a good talk with uh, Barger uh, for sure, and um, pretty much answered uh, all the questions needed. The only thing I wish you would ask him is how accurate the kickers are doing. You know, I know they've we got some kickers that have some legs. You know, that can boost the ball, boom the ball really good. But uh, but the accuracy is what really matters, and that's what costed us last year. Well, and how is that going to improve this year? During the scrimmage, uh, Adam Griffith made all of his extra points. It was five or six. And on field goals, he was four out of five, and the only miss was from 57 yards, and that was in the rain with a different holder. So I'd say right now the accuracy is pretty dang good, man. All right, cool and excellent. And another thing I need to ask, is uh, how is uh, our pass rush, we didn't ask him this, but how is our pass rush going to improve to get back to the backfield, to get to the quarterbacks and get more sacks this year? Drew, you take that one. Absolutely, Jared. Uh, I don't think there's any doubt it's going to be improved. First of all, via personnel, uh, DJ Petway being back in the program, he's been unblockable so far in fall camp. Now that Jaron Reed has been reinstated, uh, he had a very good spring. He will definitely help in that area. Uh, Jonathan Allen has has piggybacked a very strong spring with a very good uh, fall camp, very good first scrimmage, had two sacks uh, last week and five tackles, and he's looked very good. I think having Dalvin Tomlinson back, and Dalvin, uh, you know, he was he only played in the West Virginia, or excuse me, the, the Virginia Tech game in Atlanta last year, had four tackles, flashed the pass rusher, tore up his knee. Uh, in the week uh, of practice leading up to Texas A&M, he will definitely factor in. And then even a, a young kid like Deshaun Hand, I mean, he had uh, four tackles and a sack with the ones uh, Saturday. So I just think there's going to be a lot more talent on the defensive line, uh, a lot more uh, athletic ability. And I think with Bo Davis back as well, with that combination and with Sean Evans coming in to, to supply some athletic ability at Jack and at Sam Linebacker, I don't think there's any doubt. And with Dylan Lee, uh, in the starting lineup, I think Alabama's pass rush will be exponentially better. 
Okay, and, uh, and so Rashawn Evans is doing well too, uh, and uh, with um, getting you know with being aggressive and password. How's he coming along? Will he be a standout? He uh, he will definitely play. I could I, I definitely look for him on third downs. I would even think he would get a few reps against West Virginia. Uh, he got some first team reps in the goal line package last Saturday. Did a nice job immediately when he was in there. They will give him one job so he can get comfortable mentally. And I know Lance Thompson's working hard with him in practice. But I look for Rayshon Evans as the season goes along to be a situational pass rusher and be a big-time factor. Okay, cool, because that's what we need. In the past few couple of years, it just seems like against running quarterbacks, it's just nothing bad or nothing like that. Like our defense was not uh, – was I mean you know we uh it's like we were made more to stop the run and now and it seemed like we would face running quarterbacks like Manziel or um the Marshall you know we uh, just weren't getting to the quarterbacks and they were having plenty of time they were picking us apart and um so I hope that uh, our defense's uh, line has improved and is a lot more aggressive get on because me and Kerry were talking about it uh, that. Um, if we can get like uh, throwing running quarterbacks into throwing the ball, uh, you know, to beat us in the air, then uh, like Auburn, that we'll we'll be fine. You know, make them throw, make them beat us by throwing, but we got to get pressure on them. Well, and absolutely, and the the, the only frustrating part, is the really the only, in my opinion, negative of fall camp, is the continuing situation with Tim Williams, who I think could be the best pass rusher on the team. Had a very good spring, very good A-day game. But he's missed, you know, I'm sure he, he did not practice tonight, so he's missed 16 practices. Uh, we'll be back, we hear, but probably by the end of fall camp and we'll be deep uh, down the depth chart. So he may not factor in this season, but that's about the only negative of fall camp. But if Rayshon Evans can continue to improve uh, with Dylan Lee there as well, hopefully get a little bit more out of Denzel DeVal, uh, then I think the pass rush will be better, no question. All right, excellent, excellent. Well, thanks so much uh, for taking my call and everything, and um, let you go. And I'll just uh, keep listening. And um, thanks so much. Good show. Thank you. Thank Appreciate you, Jared. You listening. Bye-bye. Appreciate the call, Jared. And uh, Jared's a guy, a young man that I work with, and uh, I can tell you that nobody, 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 even Drew that I've ever met, loves Alabama like this guy. Uh, he is all over. Uh, he's a uh, He's uh, something he didn't ask you about, Drew, and we don't have uh, – we have we, – we, I tell you, I'm, I'm going to say that for later because he, he asked me every day when is so-and-so going to flip and when is uh, – you know. <laughs> we'll, 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 we were asked by our listeners uh, to back off a little bit on the recruiting stuff, so we're going we're gonna to open up the phone lines because, uh, Thomas, do we actually theoretically have till 1030? Uh, yes, we actually do. We can go to 1030. I could probably extend it even later if, just to give us some leeway. I think 10.30 is good. That would be two hours. Uh, yeah, so yeah. We, go, we can go to 10.30. Okay. Well, what we're going to do now is open up the phone lines to Marty and the rest of our regular callers as well as any other new callers. It was good to have three new callers tonight. That was great. Awesome. Uh, yeah, even though one of, them was, one of them was kind of a troll, but it's okay. Uh, 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 Will from Athens, whatever. Hey, Will's but, uh, a good guy. He called his own shot. i got to give him credit. He told me last night. One of these days, I'm calling in on a radio show, and I'm going to ask Will Barger about uh, Isaac Lewis here playing left tackle just to get him, and, okay, he, well, and he did it. Was, it. it was funny. I, I, you know, and he said it <laughs> like he said it with a straight face, which was gold. Well, and see, I, I had to keep from laughing. I knew exactly who it was since you said Will from Athens. 
and I knew what was coming, and I had to keep from I had to keep from ruining it because I was I almost had to put my phone down. Well, Will from Athens did it. Uh, Sprinkle Bama did it. It was great to hear from him. Uh, and Jared from Hoover, my, one of my friends from work, did it. Uh, but anyone that wants to call into BAMS radio, uh, our number is uh, 714-510-3707. Again, that's 714-510-3707. We'd like to hear from Marty and uh, anybody else that wants to call in. And uh, But now, finally, uh, it's just uh, it's just the three of us, so... Uh, we can uh, we can talk a little bit more about some of the things that are going on, and I, and I want to start it uh, by quizzing Drew about uh, so, and, and this is not breaking the confidentiality of the NATI meeting in Huntsville last night because I read this on Facebook uh, <laughs> uh, under the NATI uh, responses from last night's meeting. I don't know if it was West Neighbors who was y'all's keynote speaker or yourself, Drew. But they they brought up two things, and I'm gonna let you touch on them. You know, I know you love the two part questions. They brought up the fact that Alabama has something like 30 fake punts in the playbook, and then they brought up something that was even more interesting, that apparently there's a defensive assistant with a photographic memory. So why don't you address those two things, since they've already been brought out on social media, we're not breaking confidentiality. (laughs) Well, we're not, uh, Kerry. I'll take the first part of the question. The 30 fake punts dates back to the game plan for the uh, LSU-Alabama National Championship game in New Orleans. Uh, they had basically uh, the the coach with the photographic memory that I'll reveal in a minute uh, had told had been, had 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 told uh, West neighbors that if Kay Foster came out to attempt to kick, it was a fake guarantee. And uh, Wes was dressed uh, in black, sitting in the LSU section because of his brother, his son Connor. And uh, as soon as Kay came out there he started telling everybody around him it's a fake it's a fake and everybody knows what happened chris underwood had his moment in time made the uh, first down by inches and it was a really a, a momentum big momentum shift in the football game and as might be expected the defensive assistant he's kirby smart and lance thompson's right hand man right now used to be bobby williams right hand man but the defensive assistant with a photographic memory is Wesley Neighbors, the son of West Neighbors. And and how does that factor in as far – did he have that role last year? Uh, No, that he had been promoted this season. Uh, Okay. He had been working for Bobby much of the last two years, and uh, now this season – well, I take that back. Let me take that back. Last year, which is through 2012, he was actually uh, working for Bobby. He did work for Kirby and Lance last year. Now has been promoted. He's on the full-time payroll and has six graduate assistants working under him. That's excellent. And how exactly does this uh, photographic memory thing factor in once the game starts? Well, you know, he, he he's responsible a lot of times for the for the personnel groupings, and you know, for any and he puts in the game plan. He helps put in install the game plan. And uh, if and if one of the as I was told last night. When they're in the meeting rooms and they're installing the game plan, if one of the GAs screws up something, he's the one that gets cussed out now, <laughs> not the GAs. So, I mean, if you're a full-time employee, that's part of the deal. Absolutely. So, he's but he's come a long way. I mean, he's a brilliant guy. He could have gone to Harvard. Uh, he does so. He does have a photographic memory. He graduated with a master's in five years, and, and he decided to go into coaching. Uh, and a big part of it was Bobby Williams convincing him that he needed to coach. And uh, he did a great job. And I'll tell you another story. 
uh, he called the fake uh, when Georgia, uh, you know, pulled the pulled the fake that sparked them the SEC championship game in 2012. Wesley had watched a ton of film, you know, he had and he noticed that the up back was a little bit closer uh, as far as the formation was a little bit was was uh, was was slightly different. He was and he was a little bit it was a little bit more bunched up. And the biggest thing he noticed was the up back was not wearing gloves like usual because he needed to throw the ball. And he noticed it early. He noticed by the formation. Again, the formation was tweaked, and he wasn't wearing gloves. And he was just just all over Bobby Williams to call timeout, call timeout. And Bobby did not. They ran the fake, got it. Nick Saban just read Bobby Williams the right act, dropped every cuss word known to man. And then Bobby Williams turned around to Wesley and said, I've been working for this man for years, and calling timeout over him is a fireable offense. I will take my cussing like a man. <laughs> yeah, well, it almost cost us the game. But anyway, uh, all right, well, uh, I called for one Gadsden caller, and he didn't call in yet, but we actually have another Gadsden caller, a longtime listener to BAMS Radio, a regular at our tailgates. Uh, his wife is quite the dancer when the sisters are around. King Crimson, <laughs> what is going on, buddy? Hey, guys, how y'all doing? Doing great. Good, man. Hey, yeah, I was just thinking, you know, while I was on hold, every gang, every tailgate, I always huddled up with Kerry. All right, give me, give me a little lowdown, tell me what you think. And he would just spout it out, you know, because he, he's got it ready. He rolls it off his tongue, yeah. And we won every time, you know what I'm saying? So I'm looking forward to keeping that tradition going, Kerry. So, uh, you better find my ass before the Auburn game. Woo! Boy, I heard that. But, hey, listen, guys, uh, I, I, got, I got a question for y'all. Uh, I've, uh, I've had my head down all summer. I've been working like a dickens, which is a good thing. But uh, I got one question I want to pose to, to y'all great Alabama football minds, and, and collectively y'all, y'all are a walking database. I can assure you that. Uh, can we stop up-tempo? Will we be able to do something? Besides, sit there and try to decipher everything and get a special package in. Is there some way that can we come up with something that uh, give us a better opportunity to stop that? And I think, you know, our, our, our rushing, our defensive line, I think that's going to be a key. Uh, I know Coach, Coach Stallings always said great players beat great schemes. I believe that. Uh, but I'm just—I just really ain't got a lot to say other than I'm ready for football. Looking forward to seeing everybody at the tailgate. And but—but uh, uh, but that, that's the only burning question I got. And I'm gonna hang up and listen. I see you, Drew. <laughs> and, and this is in regard to to the hurry-up offense, correct? And how we how we're gonna stop it? Well, one way they're gonna stop it is what they've already been trying to do, and that's to swim guys up. Uh, you've heard that some of the defensive linemen talk about, you know, trimming down and streamlining to be able to sustain effort, you know, uh, uh, on a more consistent basis for a longer period of time. You know, Nick Saban has already talked about that in the press conferences. Uh, and all I'll say about Auburn, is, and I'll equate it to this to this way, and it, to me it gives you most of the needs to give you confidence. I think everybody remembers, you know, every team is different, but everybody remembers what happened in 2008. You know, Alabama, almost the exact same deal, except it's the SEC championship game. Very close to, you know, returning to the national championship game, undefeated, 
a loss to a Florida team in Tim Tebow who played the game of his life and played very well. And they returned everybody the next year, as did Alabama. And, you know, but Alabama, the whole offseason was pretty much centered around the Gators, you know, to breaking down film, tendencies, to be ready to play them again. Alabama improved uh, by leaps and bounds that next season. Marquise Johnson, uh, several of the guys, uh, just to name, he's just to name one uh, that improved a lot. Uh, Mark Ingram had a monster year, won the Heisman, of course. Uh, Greg McElroy uh, was uh, in his first year as a starter but got better as the season went on Then played his best game, the best game of his career in that game. But, again, uh, the, the, what, the, I guess the, uh, what I'm trying to say is Nick Saban has spent the whole offseason, uh, most of it, studying Auburn, studying how to stop them, what they need to do. And I just think it, and it's not, I agree with what Coach Saban said the other day. I mean, Alabama played seven hurry-up teams last year. Uh, Texas A&M and Auburn were the ones that gave them trouble. We outscored A&M. We should have outscored Auburn and been more aggressive offensively. I think that's one reason why Lane Chiffin was brought in, to continue to, put, to, to keep the hammer down. But also, Coach Saban's correct. And, uh, you know, if you look at Auburn, they dropped 60 in the SEC championship game. Uh, you know, they, they were just ripping Florida State early. They ended up scoring in the 30s. Alabama held them to 21 and really, you know, except for two or three drives, did a really nice job defending them. Just had some guys like Adrian Hubbard who, you know, made mental errors. Uh, Cyrus Jones didn't play the ball very well. Hopefully he's a much better player this year than he was last, you could hope. But, again, I just think it's going to be a, a, a case of they're going to tweak the scheme somewhat. But I think also it's just improving the players that you have back and then having them in position to make plays. And you got to remember, with one minute to go in the Auburn game, they had 21 points, which is damn exactly good against right. that offense. And then you had, exactly a breakdown. Right. you had a breakdown in the secondary, and perhaps a lot of the downfield, perhaps he wasn't. But anyway, uh, we're going to go ahead and move on to our next caller. Uh, two in a row let, let me, from Edward. Let, let me jump. I want to jump in and add another point to this. I'll get to talk on the program. It's a, it's a new and different thing. Uh, something that happened in the offseason in the SEC is – that hasn't been talked about very much, is the SEC added an eighth official. And yes, this correct. official, is his primary responsibility is to spot the ball. Now what this will do is, let, let me take one step forward, uh, one step back, take two steps forward. Pre-snap, not only do the offenses and the defenses have reads, but officials have certain spheres of responsibility. One guy has to count and make sure there are not too many men in the, on the, in the backfield, one ref has to make sure there are 11 men on one side. Another has to make sure there are 11 on the other, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. With the old referee system, the guy spotting the ball, I believe, was the umpire. And what he had to do is, in a hurry-up system, he had to haul ass to where he was supposed to go, spot the ball, run to his position, and potentially only be getting into his position to perform his checks as the as the opposing team was as the offense was snapping the ball, obviously when you ask a guy to do a checklist in a couple of seconds when he's had five or six at minimum for most of his refereeing career, he's going to make mistakes. That's changed this year. The guy that spots the ball that is his only responsibility. His job is to find the ball, set the ball, and make sure and just that that's all he does. That leaves the umpire free to do his pre-snap checks, which will cut down on some of these wacky formations that, in my mind, a lot of hurry-up teams are getting away with because it's impossible to check with the number of eyes that were on the field. I think that's something that will have a, a kind of un, 
a surprisingly deleterious effect on the hurry up no huddle because a lot of it, as Drew and Carrie, you've both said on this program and has been heard all over, a lot of it is a smoke and mirrors type thing that uses motion to confuse offenses. And if you're not set for a second, that is a penalty. If you have too many men in the backfield because you have a bunch of guys moving, that is a penalty. If it gets called, you can't do it as fast, which will help everybody trying to defend it. But anyway, moving on. I know who you were going next, Gary. Great well, point, Thomas. Before we, we we do have a guy on hold, but before we bring him on, Thomas, I, I just want to take this opportunity to thank you, A, for everything you do for the show, B, the way you improvised tonight and got us on, and, and C, uh, when, uh, when William um, brought up the point last week, about the great job you did last year during the season previewing the offense and defense of every opponent we played. I know you're a lot more uh, have a lot more responsibilities with your job now, but if you could find time to do it, it would be great starting the week before West Virginia if you could do that for us again every week, Thomas. I've already started. <laughs> great, great. All right, well, of course he has. With no further ado, <laughs> it's going to be two calls in a row from Etowah County, two calls in a row from Gadsden. Uh, the number one caller in BAM's radio history is with us now. Marty, what is going on? Hey, guys, i tell you what. Beautiful night in Gaston, Alabama, in the middle of August, and you're just sitting out on the porch swing with beautiful weather, no humidity, and just enjoying life. I tell you, you can't get any better than that, man. I tell you what, I could get used to this kind of weather. If I was there, we'd be having a cigar. <laughs> I'm telling you. I'm hey, yeah, you stole my yeah, you stole my thunder a little bit, Kerry. Uh, I was going to congratulate Thomas uh, on, on what a great job he did tonight. You know, uh, making decisions and and, and getting this uh, technical difficulty straightened out. You know, he did a great job. Uh, you know, tech guys don't get enough credit. Believe me, they don't get enough credit for what they do. And and he's done a great job behind the scene. He has. We could this ship would, would be sunk without Thomas Watts. Uh, you got that right. And I'm glad to hear uh, King Crimson call in. You know, love to hear what he brings to the to, to the show. You know, I love to hear what what he has to say. Uh, super guy. Know him personally. Uh, I really like him. You know, and I, I wish he'd call in more often and, and, and express his opinion. But I, I got a question for y'all guys. You know, you, we're all talking about the hurry-up offense for Auburn. I mean, that's what it boils down to. Auburn really don't run a hurry-up offense. They run a no-huddle offense. They get up onto the line, and they sit there and look at the sideline, and, 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 you know, they don't snap the ball uh, to a certain time period. You know, they take advantage of the defense by what they do. But my opinion is, and, and I hope I, what I've heard and what I've heard from behind the scenes and stuff it really excites me and what I've seen heard in the scrimmages and stuff that we're starting to run the toss sweep. We're starting to run some things that will put pressure on that defense. You know, uh, the best defense, uh, the best way to battle that no huddle offense is to keep them off the field, ball control. You know, and I think we have the running game this year to really uh, pound and grind at a defense this year with 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 Drake, with Yeldon, with Henry, uh, Tim Penny, whatever. You know, I think we can go back to running the football like we used to do, you know, and, and keep that offense off the field, whether it's short passes, you know, with it's a tall sweep, 
you know, I, I heard Dakota Ball is is practicing at tight end. To me, that's setting it up that they're going to start going back to toss sweep and doing some things like that that will will stretch that defense out a little bit and and and, and keep them off balance. What do y'all think? Well, I think there's a chance absolutely that could happen. I think that was one reason why, you know, Lane Kiffin was brought in. Uh, no disrespect to Doug Nussmeyer, won a national championship in 2012. Uh, had, you know, scored a ton of points in 2013. But I think there's no doubt that there was some, you know, consternation with the predictability of the play calling and spreading the football around a little bit more. I think that's what Lane Kiffin was brought in to do do a little bit better job in developing the quarterbacks, especially in this kind of situation with a first-year starter. Uh, but I think with Jake Coker's skill set, I think you've already even seen Lane Kiffin's uh, impact. Well, I think Blake Sims has improved mechanically quite a bit, and he's actually pushing Coker for the job well-documented. Uh, I do think both of them will play. I, I'm like William. I hope there's a plan for Blake Sims to use his mobility, to use his talent. But I think Jake Coker is the key to winning a championship and his maturity and maturation and his progress as a quarterback. Uh, I do think that, you know, no doubt, Marty, that I think that skill position talent is just absolutely unbelievable. The top six receivers. And I think Dakota Ball, there's one thing you just mentioned, and I'm glad you mentioned Dakota Ball, and I'm excited about that. I think he'll be in the top four tight ends once he gets his assignments down. Uh, you know, Flournoy Smith and uh, O.J. will be the top two H's. The top two wise, in my opinion, in-line blocking tight ends will be Brian Vogler and Dakota Ball because I think they, they, they missed Mike Williams so much last year as far as the perimeter running game and sealing the edge, and I think Dakota Ball can be a big key to that because as Brian Vogler said earlier in fall camp, I already can't stand going up against Dakota Ball because his motor never stops, and uh, he's just a nasty guy. And, I, and I'll reiterate another story that I heard today from a good friend of this show, Rodney Orr, a tighter insider, he said he talked to his coach at Pepperell, Georgia, uh, when when Alabama signed Dakota Ball during his senior season in high school. He played his senior year uh, and had a game on Friday night. The coach came into his office at 7 a.m. at the high school on Saturday and looked out on the track, and he went out there, and it was Dakota Ball and his mother. And Dakota Ball's mother was timing a run that Dakota was making. And the coach said, Dakota, what are you all doing here? It's Saturday morning. He said, Coach, I just didn't really feel like I gave enough effort last night. I'm trying to get better. That's awesome. That is awesome. That's unreal. I tell you what, I, I've never, you know, of course, every year there's always excitement and all, there's always a little mystery of what's going on. But I, I don't never remember as much mystery and, and the start of the season that, that there are this year as far as the quarterback battle, uh, the offensive line, the corners. Uh, you know the the inside linebackers. You know this this year to me is just an exciting time to to see what Alabama's going to put on the football field because they could actually put one of the best defenses on the football field that's that's ever been at Alabama, or it it could kind of flop a little bit. But I'm I'm hoping that's not true. But uh, it, it's an exciting time. Can you ever remember a, a year that there's just been so much mystery out there? And, and I'm not saying. In a bad way, I'm saying in a good way because there's so much talent on this team. You know, you you, you could just put together, you know, so many scenarios where this team could be just awesome. So it, the mystery out there is just phenomenal compared to years past. Maybe not of the number of positions that are open, but quarterback-wise, you only have to go back to 2011. 
because uh, a lot of us thought Philip Sims was going to be the starter, and the two guys played pretty much equally the first three games. I'm not sure if that's how it's going to shake out this year or not. I don't know yet. But uh, regarding the amount of talent they have, Marty, uh, the guys from ESPN, Butch Davis, Reese Davis, uh, Jerkwad, Danny Cannell, all of them were there in Tuscaloosa today, Joe Tessitore. Uh, and, and they've been traveling on a bus all over the country looking at different ball teams. And the look that they had on their faces and some of the things they were mumbling after seeing the talent Alabama had out on the field today, this morning in full pads, not even counting the injured guys, they were mumbling things like, are you freaking kidding me? This team is unreal, what Saban has put together. And, yes, there's not a proven quarterback just yet, but there's two guys that I think they can win with no matter how they use them. And uh, I I think, really, like Drew said earlier, I'm going to agree with Drew. The first big test to me is the Florida game uh, because you know they're going to put out a good defense. And if he's healthy, Hargreaves is one of the best corners in the country. It would be a great challenge for Amari. But Alabama has so many more weapons this year, Marty. I I don't really remember a year when they had this many weapons at receiver and this many weapons at running back and even O.J. at tight end. Uh, not to mention they're always going to be solid on defense as long as Saban or Smart are there. And Drew made a great point. They've had a year now to game plan to stop teams like A&M and Auburn. And they did a great job last year stopping Ole Miss, by the way, or the hurry up, no huddle. But uh, anyway, yeah, yeah I, I, there's, there's mystery. There, there's mystery, Marty, but it's a, it's a good kind of mystery. And it's a good right. kind of enthusiasm. And everybody is extremely fired up about West Virginia. But Drew and May are fired up about getting to see the scrimmage this Saturday. And we'll, uh, we'll report what we feel we can on that next Wednesday. Well, guys, i tell you what. I appreciate y'all letting me call in. And I want to get out a big shout-out for Al Gore for Global Warming because I sure am enjoying this night. Y'all guys have a good night. Also, uh, thank you, Marty. For, also, shout out for him for inventing the internet. Uh, yeah, Al, Al's been good to us. Thank you, Marty. Always good to hear from Marty from Gadsden. Uh, we are going to go into overtime here because we uh, kind of shorted y'all through no fault of our own uh, the first half hour of the show. So we'll just continue to talk and take calls. And if we end up running out of stuff to talk about before 1030, we'll call it whenever that happens. But for now, we've had five different callers tonight, which I, I'm guessing probably ties a record. I'm not sure if we keep up with that kind of thing, but great to have had five different guys call in the last 90 minutes uh but uh you can reach us too at 714-510-3707 again that number to call into bams radio is 714-510-3707 it is now straight up the top of the hour uh here in bams radio land on blog talk radio and once again i'm Kerry clark with bamamag.com scott.com joined by drew Armand of alabamaintel.com uh we We've already had a good night of guests uh, with William and Raekwon, and we've had, like I said, five five callers, uh, three of which were brand-new callers, so that was cool. Um, and it's, it's been a good show, but there's still so much else to talk about. Uh, so, Drew, you and I, again, are fortunate enough to be able to see this week's scrimmage, closed scrimmage at Bryant-Denny. What exactly will you be looking for Saturday? Well, obviously the quarterback situation. Uh, I want to see, you know, Amongst Sims and Coker, uh, you know, who takes control, who uh, moves the football team, who protects the football. Uh, I want to see Adam Griffith myself because the last time I saw him, I wanted to throw up. So, you know, I've heard, you know, all the things that have happened thus far. Very encouraged by that. 
want to see J.K. Scott see his leg because Cody Mandel is one of the better punters, or the best punter of the Saban era. You know, he's in the training camp with the Dallas Cowboys. So you want to see, or, or was my fault. I saw him last week, so he, I must, he must have been cut from that point forward, my, my mistake. But, uh, you know, he had, he was in the NFL, and he had a very good career. Out, a very good senior year, averaged 47 yards a punt. Want to see J.K. Scott. So, and, and, I, and I really want to see, you know, how Lane Kiffin, you know, spreads the football. Right? I know they won't show it a lot, but you, you want to see King and Gray continue to see if he's going to perform the way he is. You know, it was obvious the ESPN guys were wowed by, and you and I have already seen it, Terry. But, uh, and they should have seen it in, in spurts last year, but you could tell Danny Cannell, the moron, was talking about today, wow, his feet are just different. You know, he hits the hole so quick. You know, it's just a different, you know, skill set and a different look. And he's right. Uh, and it's something Florida State doesn't have. We wish we could play the Knolls and shut them up, but that's another story for another day. But, uh, but again, I'm anxious to see that. I'm anxious to see Derrick Henry get a few more touches. I know what T.J. Yeldon can do. And then I want to see the continued maturation, uh, see if they involve. I know that I was told they told they threw the, threw the tight end quite a bit. I'd like to see O.J. Howard touch the ball a little bit. And I'd like to see, you know, the, some of the receivers. You know what Amari Cooper can do. I'd like to see uh, Robert Foster continue to make plays. Had a 40-yard catch last week. And you'd like to see Chris Black and uh, our Darius Stewart and see how far they've come. And I, myself, am curious to see how big number 50 looks at right guard, Alphonse Big Shane right. Taylor. He, he's really become one of the stories of, of this, this camp, Drew. I think he's the, the story on the offensive side of the ball, Kerry, besides the quarterback. I think Shank has done a great job. You know, injury has had something to do with that, but I think he's also bided his time, reshaped his body, become assignment sound, knows he has a chance to, you know, do something. You have to make, take advantage of opportunities. He should, but he's just – and people forget, Kerry, he's just a redshirt sophomore. Uh, you know, he's a huge guy. Um, he was committed to the Knowles, and uh, he, he flipped Alabama, you know, and uh, – yeah, that's well documented. And again, you'd like to see also Cam Robinson see him continue to take control at the left tackle position, hearing very good things. And then also defensively, now Jaron Reed is practicing. Uh, Brandon Ivory is practicing. You want to see the defensive line, see how much they've improved, uh, and, and even from the spring, very deep unit, very good unit. And I think the biggest you know story of the defensive side of the ball and fall camp has been the accelerated maturation of Sean Dion Hamilton, seeing some first-team reps in the nickel this week. His mental retention has obviously he's got a learning curve. that's not as steep as others. Valedictorian of his high school class, 4-0 GPA, high ACT score. Very smart young man, gone through the spring. And so you want to see Sean Dion Hamilton because he is going to be needed. Trey DePriest already banged up, Kerry, so they need some depth at inside linebacker. I expect him to continue to play more and more as the season goes on. And I'm going to be curious to know, and I, I, I know this sounds crazy, but you and I are into this kind of thing, and we don't mind because we're football nerds. I asked William while we were, uh, when it was just me and him the first 20 minutes, uh, about the holding situation uh, regarding place kicking because Adam made all four of his kicks Saturday with his, his top holder, and his, his backup holder was who he missed with. Now, the way I remember it in the spring, the primary holders were, were Cooper Bateman and Alec Morris. Uh, I'm not sure if that's still the case, and I'm not sure who Adam Griffith's number one holder is. So I'm looking forward to finding out who that is Saturday when they go out there and, and, and attempt the first extra point or field goal. 
Obviously, you hope it's an extra point because that means the offense got a touchdown. And also something else I'm curious about, Drew, uh, because you and I both know that 75 or 80% of what we see this Saturday is going to be ones versus twos on both sides of the ball. Very rarely, other than maybe two-minute and goal line, do we get to see ones versus ones. So when they do the ones versus twos, I'm going to be very curious when the one offense is out there to see exactly how Marlon Humphrey and Tony Brown perform because they're concentrating only on corner. Neither young man has been asked to learn the nickel or dime yet. So uh, those are some of the things I'll be looking for. Absolutely, and I don't I don't know if my boy Brian Ritchie is listening to this show. If he is, I'm sure I'll hear about this. But I'm anxious to see the nickel and the dime package. Uh, you know, we, we saw Geno Smith play nickel. He ended the spring playing free safety. Now we understand Jarek Williams is playing that position. And they'd, they'd like to have Geno at the, at the nickel star spot. But from what I understand, the dime back could very easily be Nick Perry because they like their safety, uh, their, their, their uh, options of safety. They, they think they're pretty deep there, as far as being especially very experienced with Landon, Nick, even Geno now, who now knows the playbook very well, and Jarek. So it'll be very interesting to see that fifth-year senior Nick Perry coming off an ACL to see if he does play a bigger role this season carrying defensively. I think he will because uh, about the time Geno got hurt, they uh, actually moved Jarek back to nickel. And uh, right. Nick, has been, Nick has been running with Landon uh, at the two safety. safety. That's correct. Exactly. And that's probably what we're going to see Saturday because Saturday is not a situation where you risk a guy like Gino or even Denzel Duvall uh, who's been struggling with injuries. Uh, you know, some of the guys we see Saturday won't actually be uh, at the true part of the depth chart they'll be at when they release it for the West Virginia game. Exactly, and then I also want to see the continued development of Murray Smith, who's also seen some time at Nickel Carry. They're, they're training him over there. Uh, I think he's much more comfortable this year than he was last. And I just really think with Eddie Jackson's you know continued rapid recovery, I think he'll see a handful of snaps against West Virginia at this rate. Not sure he'll scrimmage this Saturday. He did not scrimmage last Saturday. They're going to continue to put him on pitch count, as Saban, Coach Saban has said. But I think the secondary, with Bradley still continuing to perform, uh, Cyrus Jones still an unknown. Hopefully, you hear he's improved. Did get beat by Robert Foster through the ball early last week. But Coach Saban has been very complimentary of him. If if you get the improvement from some of the guys coming back, you know, still still improved uh, Cyrus Jones. And then, you know, if, if Tony Brown and Marlon Humphrey can improve and be able to come in and rotate and continue to do well, you know, and have not good mental retention, and I think they have so far, I think the secondary carry, much like William had said earlier with the pass rush help in the secondary, I also think the talent in the secondary, especially the corner, is going to be much better this season. And, I, and, the, and, of course, that's going to lead to me to the secondary being much improved. And as William said, uh, and, and accurately so, uh, and Jared pointed out during his call, uh, we need a better pass rush, and it's going to be something I'll look for. Granted, it's two-hand touch on the quarterback Saturday, and that's fine. That's how it should be. But I'm going to be looking to see who puts the heat on the quarterbacks, particularly when the ones are going against the ones and that kind of thing. But even when the ones are going against the twos, I want to see who exactly is getting to the quarterback and who's not. And, and I do feel like that at least on the way home Saturday, uh, weather permitting, 
I do feel like that this week we probably will get quarterback statistics uh, from me relations over the email, uh, and that's great and fine. But we won't have to wait because we'll be able to watch in person and we'll have a good idea of, of what the quarterback situation is Saturday just by who goes out there first with the ones. And you made a great point about Coker making a move this morning. Well, this morning he was with the twos, meaning he probably went against the ones a lot. Tonight uh, they, they alternated it back and they let Jacob, uh, Jake, as he's been known, uh, go with the ones and Blake with the twos tonight. Uh, both young men are getting absolutely a fair shot at the starting job, uh, and I'm with you 100%. I think even if Jake Coker wins the job, whether it's West Virginia or Florida or whatever game he wins it, I think, Drew, in the bottom of my heart, that at least one series a half, we're going to see what we call the Blake Cat offense. Well, I don't think there's any doubt. You know, I think there's a great chance that's going to happen. And I would think by the Florida game, they're going to want to have a guy take control and be the starter. Because that's what happened in 2011, Kerry, as you remember when Alabama went to Happy Valley against Penn State. I remember the first series of said game. A.J. and the offense went three and out. And you're thinking, this is the first road game. Oh, Lord, how's he going to react? From that point forward, it was on like neck bone. He played with poise, directed the offense, got better every week. You know, did have a slight hiccup against LSU. But, you know, some of that was just also bad luck. But he learned from that, got better after, after that setback. Starting it in the Florida game, really started to turn it loose and then was MVP of the national championship game. But I think by the time the Gators come to Brian Denny Stadium with Blake Barnett and all these recruits looking on, I think you will see the quarterback situation has played itself out. All right. And uh, we have chosen, because we had some input from our listeners, uh, not to do a ton of recruiting this week, but uh, we do have about 18 minutes or so left. So let's, uh, let's, let's chat a little bit about recruiting. Uh, we, had, we had Raekwon on earlier, and, uh, you know, sort of a unique commitment being from Meridian, which is uh, almost in Alabama. But at the same time, Drew, you know the in-state schools are going to turn up the heat on this young man for the next two years. Full course, you know, his teammate, C.J. Hansen, uh, well-documented. He's an Ole Miss Rebel right now. You know, Mississippi State has been all over Raekwon. Uh, he, you know, it will be a battle to keep him committed. Uh, there's no doubt about that. He's an upside potential guy, Kerry. Did not play a lot last year. There's not a lot of film of him. He uh, didn't make many plays. He was a developmental guy. Showed flashes. Really seemed to take to the coaching and the development of Bo Davis. Is a complete standout and unblockable at the OLDL camp, we were told. And when he came back in July, they had already offered him. Coach Saban said they wanted, they really wanted him there now. They felt like they could really get a lot out of him. And But the one good thing about him, there's an excellent question by you, Terry. I haven't seen it talked about by anyone else. Is if the young man does not, you know, develop, potentially develop on the defensive line, being six foot seven, three hundred and nine 309 pounds, uh, you know, left or right tackle could look awful good. Yeah, and I made the point on uh, one of the websites, uh, you know, at this point in his career, we all thought D.J. Fluker was going to be a nose guard. Well, that's correct, when he was a young player. And, uh, you know, even even up until the end of his junior year in high school, he was the same size in high school pretty much that Raekwon is. And, uh, exactly. I, I was glad to hear Raekwon say he played tackle. 
I was glad to hear him say he played right tackle. And, and I know the coaches are going to give a kid the shot at, at, at the position they want to play when they first arrive in Tuscaloosa. That's all fine and good. But, uh, you know, there's not a, there's not a ton of uh, six-foot-seven nose guards in, in, in our league. No, not, not that big. And Alabama plays some poor man front carry when they walk the jack up. But I would not be surprised if he got him with your offensive line. It'll be interesting to see how much progress he makes this year at Meridian High School. I do not. I do think you know that Coach Wing, those guys are good men. Uh, I hear that there, there are a lot of the people around there are Mississippi State fans. But I, as you said, it's only an hour from Tuscaloosa, and you know, very close to Mississippi State campus as well. But it'll be an interesting thing to see if they go down to Raekwon Davis. And I know your your guy Jay from Hoover called in, and from what we reported last weekend, Alabama Intel. We would not be surprised in the near future if a, if a young man from Hoover flipped to the uh, Alabama Crimson Tide, and I think you know the story that I'm talking about. You're talking about Darrell Williams, uh, a linebacker at Hoover, uh, who uh, about 6'2", 225, who grew up as an Alabama fan but committed somewhat strangely to Auburn a couple months back. Apparently, Alabama has turned the heat up on Darrell Drew, and I've been told by excellent sources, uh, in-person sources, that have seen Darrell down in Tuscaloosa hanging out with Marlon Humphrey, his old teammate, uh, you know, Christian Bell, and, and some of the other folks from Hoover, as well as other current members of the team. So slowly but surely behind the scenes, the flip of Darrell Williams from uh, Auburn to Alabama does seem to be shaping up, Drew, and that's according to multiple sources. Absolutely, and he's a versatile guy, Kerry. Alabama is they did not get Adonis Thomas. He, he chose the Florida Gators from, you know, Central at High School in Lawrenceville, Georgia. They want a space linebacker, someone that's versatile to play inside or out. Darrell Williams is that kind of guy. He's been a fixture at Hoover since he was a sophomore, been very productive. I thought he was just absolutely tremendous in the Super 6 last year against, uh, you know, Rayshon Evans and the Auburn Tigers. Uh, yeah, he played his best game. Uh, I thought was as good a defensive player as there was on the field that night. Uh, and, you know, he, he, as you said, he committed to Auburn because Alabama wanted him to come to camp, and Auburn didn't. Then Alabama, you know, Kirby Smart came to visit him at Hoover High School and videotaped his workout. Nick Saban watched it, then called Darrell and said, you know, to heck with camp, and you can commit that we want you to Alabama. Darrell decided at that point to, you know, still stay committed to Auburn. But as you said, he grew up an Alabama fan, and, They've started to turn the heat up on him because they want two linebackers. For our listeners, the other linebacker to watch, and John Garcia, who does such a great job at scout.com, has told us about this situation. And I've also heard good things about this situation. But August the 22nd, in a couple of weeks, is the announcement date uh, for Joshua McMillan of Memphis Whitehaven High School. Uh, He has got a top three of Alabama, the Ole Miss Rebels, and the Michigan Wolverines. Uh, they have a Michigan uh, guy on their coaching staff at Whitehaven, also a Whitehaven guy at Ole Miss. But I think uh, with push comes to shove, should they give Josh with the green light? And as of this time, I believe they will because the Leo Lewis situation is very, very murky is the best way for me to put it in that way. But I think Joshua McMillan could end up being the other linebacker in the class for Alabama and could ultimately carry grow into a defensive end down the line. Drew, you mentioned his name earlier just briefly, but why don't you expound a little bit for our listeners who are not aware of uh, the many honors and accolades that have come in for former uh, BAMS radio guest uh, Blake Barnett since he committed to Alabama. 
Oh, absolutely. You know, he's he's had he's been named a five star by Scout dot com. Now a five star for uh, for two twenty four seven. He's a consensus top twenty national prospect. Uh, you know, he's and for all our listeners, and I know a lot of them are desperate for football and uh, want to want to you know eat, sleep, and breathe Alabama football. Just know that on Sunday night on ESPNU, check your local listing, but they will have a feature on the Elite 11, a behind-the-scenes look uh, at that process and what what it was like. Blake Barnett will be front and center there because that's when his career basically took off. He committed to Alabama and then goes to Oregon and puts on a show, Kerry, and uh, wins the Elite 11, the most prestigious quarterback camp there is. And, uh, and and also, and that's that's separate from what he did on the seven-on-seven field. Uh, he led his team with Calvin Ridley to the championship and beat Ricky Town for the third time in the seven-on-seven tournament and just really, you know, showed the, the country, uh, I think, that he could easily be, by the time the process is over, the number one quarterback in the cycle for the 2015 uh, uh, class and that's huge for Alabama because everybody knows the consternation that was there when Ricky Town decommitted from the Tide. But that just goes to show you sometimes uh, when you think when the worst when you think the worst thing has happened, it could be the best thing. And I think all parties are very happy right now with how that turned out. Uh, exactly, and uh, he's going to have to have somebody to protect his blind side eventually. Uh, uh, how are things shaping out uh, at the uh, effort to get a final offensive tackle in this class? Absolutely. There's really two prime targets, Kerry. Uh, you know, Isaiah Prince in the Baltimore, Maryland area. He visited Alabama recently, made a southeastern swing. He's got Alabama in his top five. But I really believe that the top target at offensive tackle is Drew Richmond, who's being worked on by Makai Brown and many commitments in the 2015 class, Blake Barnett, all those guys. Uh, you know, uh, Drew is an offensive tackle, about 6'5", 6'6", 300-plus pounds from Memphis University School in Memphis, Tennessee. He's got a top three left, really, of Alabama, Ole Miss, and Tennessee. Ohio State's still involved as well, but it's really Alabama, Ole Miss, or Tennessee. He will be an SEC prospect. A lot of uh, people around Memphis University School uh, are Ole Miss uh, pro Pro, uh, you know, people, they're pro Ole Miss. They'd like to see him, you know, go to the Rebels. But, of course, I, I, Tennessee, Butch Jones has done a very good job recruiting him because everybody knows they lost their entire offensive line. But Alabama is trying to sell him on the fact to be in another one, number recruiting, number one recruiting class, pardon me, you know, for the humpteenth year in a row, seven out of eight years. And, and, they're, and they're wanting him to be the bookend at right tackle from, you know, or for uh, with uh, Cameron Robinson, who is tr- going to be entrenched on the left hand t- on the left side, it's been well documented. Lester Cotton will get a look at right tackle as well, but I think Alabama, uh, you know, recently Drew Richmond did visit with his family on August the second for a couple of days, spent the night. He really likes Alabama a lot. They've made a big push, but he also visited Ole Miss the next week, so it's going to be interesting to see, Kerry, where you know Drew Richmond's recruitment ultimately goes because his commitment date is coming up rapidly. It's kind of ironic now. It's less than 30 days away as he will announce his uh, verbal commitment on September the 9th. Drew, uh, we have a caller on hold apparently, and I'm not sure if this is the same Ryan that you and I have both been on the radio with or not, but let's go ahead and bring on 
Ryan from Tuscaloosa, welcome to BAMS Radio with Carrie and Drew. War fucking eagle. Fuck the tide. Oh, great. Great call. Great. We've got I, a, I, we, I, I, I very quickly shut that down. I was afraid of that, but the okay. guy doesn't understand that I've got his phone number and uh, I'm going to send it to a few places to get spammed. But, you know, that, you didn't oh, hear that from me. Well. Okay. Hey, man. Well, that, that was you, not the you, Ryan you, I thought it was, Drew. My bad. Let me put it no, in this you troll, Ryan, you, you troll my radio show. I'm gonna. I'll hit you with both barrels. Don't have to well, you know, it, it's a. Uh, that's fine. You know, that they can have their fun. I, I'm glad that he took part of his night. You know, as an Auburn fan to listen to Alabama. You know, uh, we know how to finish. Unlike Auburn, we don't blow 20 to three leads in the national championship game and choke like a dog, and then have to put a. Uh, one second bumper stickers on everything, uh, like 1972 punt, Bama punt. But as I'll use an analogy of Gary Rutledge, who started in the 1973 Iron Bowl. The next year it was score, Auburn score. It was 35 to nothing. They lost nine straight in the series. They think they're good. We'll see. Uh, we, uh, I believe Alabama has more talent than Auburn. I believe Alabama's reloading. I believe they're coming to Tuscaloosa. And just to be blunt, because I can do this on this radio show, they got the. I hope they're coming for an ass whipping, and I'll just say that for Mister uh, War Eagle. And you know what else? You know when you read these projections about who's going to be in the fourteen playoffs, ninety uh, percent of them don't mention Auburn. Then a hundred percent of them do mention Alabama, and there's a reason for that. Yeah, because we finished. We have the crystal football to show for it. We don't have to pay two hundred fifty thousand dollars for a quarterback to get us over the top. So there you go. Anyway, uh, <laughs> not really the note we want to end on. So let's get let's get back to the recruiting. Uh, we do have six more minutes of our allotted time. So, uh, Drew, uh, I'm not really seeing a ton of movement at the tight end position in this recruiting class. Although I am starting to hear a little bit more about um, Malik Jefferson's teammate. I believe his name is DeAndre McNeil. That's correct. That's correct, Kerry. He's a versatile guy. He can start at H. He can play linebacker. He's someone, it's Will Gregg of Dumas, Arkansas, you know, stays in state for the Hogs and, and decides to continue the family tradition at Arkansas of his brother Chris Gregg. Then I, I think, you know, you could see Alabama go in that direction. Ohio State, uh, Texas Tech, and some other schools are involved with DeAndre. I think, he, you know, he camps very well at Alabama. He's someone that they're going to stay in contact with. Uh, also, you know, we've talked about it in our current commitment, Anthony Jennings. Can end up getting a look there, so we'll see. You know that, that the tight end situation is one to watch. I mean, they could end up finding another prospect. Remember, they found Ty Fornoy Smith late, uh, as far as out of junior college. And then if Dakota Ball develops as a blocker, to be honest with you, Kerry, it doesn't. It's not as as big a need. Uh, I think you know Hell Hentges is a very good age. Uh, you know, age prospect. They would like to get you know a tight end in the class. Uh, but, again, if it, it, uh, DeAndre McNeil is someone to watch, a versatile guy that can end up playing there. But uh, I think right now you just need to – with the number situation being so tight and what it is, uh, it's going to be just something that's going to have to be monitored constantly until February. Yeah, and, and that's a great point uh, about uh, Dakota Ball. Uh, and, and from what I'm told, the, the, in, the, in the brief 10 to 15-minute media viewing periods uh, at the start of each practice – the young man is catching most everything that hits his hands, which is a very good sign. 
It is a very good sign, and I really thought he looked pretty good, Kerry. You and I talked about it in the spring at defensive tackle. Uh, but, again, there's so much depth, you know, at Alabama on the defensive line and a need for a blocking tight end. And Dakota Ball played tight end and offensive line in high school as well as defensive line. So he's played the position before, just not on the major college level. But the good part is he's just a redshirt sophomore. He's got time. They're trying to bring him along. He's a special project of Bobby Williams. But if he develops as the season goes on, of course they take Will Gregg right now. There's no question about that. But if Will Gregg goes elsewhere and he was, and he is he is set to verbally commit in November, then you know they that that is leaves them three months till signing day. They could decide two and a half to three months. They could decide to give the scholarship to another guy, another position. Say they could take a seventh defensive back, and I think they would someone like Kendall Sheffield of Missouri City, Texas, whose best friend, thanks to John Garcia for telling us this, uh, is Tony Brown. Yeah, and Kendall Sheffield's interesting because he's another track guy like Brown. Uh, how realistic is Alabama's shot with Kendall? I think it's very good. I think they're in the top group. Uh, he's got several schools. He visited Oklahoma recently. Texas A&M's involved, Florida State. But I think Alabama's right in the mix, and I think they will be till signing day. And it's going to come down to the official visits. And I think uh, and when he, and it, if you see him show up up front, and also for some unofficials to have the capstone during the season, much like he did for Arkansas last year, I think that would uh, bode well for the future. But it's just something to be monitored. I know they've already got a six-man recruiting class in the defensive backfield, but, you know, Sheffield's an elite talent, and he's someone that they would, they would have make room for. Right. And then a uh, final question before we wrap it up. Uh, John mentioned that he had uh, Garcia. He had uh, four sources tell him about the strong possibility of a uh, junior college All-American running back Javon Robinson flipping to Alabama at some point in the near future. Uh, do you see that happening anytime soon or at all? Well, I think that's just something to be watched. I mean, he's going to enroll early, so you won't have to follow it till signing day. But I think I still think it's going to come down to Jovan. He doesn't have to sign the scholarship favors until December, Kerry. So it's going to come down to he'll monitor Alabama's situation. What kind of year T.J. Yeldon's having? You looked at the scrimmage Kenyon Drake had. If Kenyon Drake, you know, has a monster year this year, Kerry, I don't think there's any doubt he could try to go to the NFL. Uh, you know, T.J. Yeldon, same thing. Uh, Burton Burns is telling the young man they think both of them will leave if they have the years they think they're capable of having. So that was to that. I mean, you've got the all T ten ping situation and Tyron Jones, both talented young men, but both have had well documented issues off the field. And so if if, if those two guys cannot, you know, stay out of the doghouse, then you've got Derrick Henry. And really, as Rodney Orr said many a time, when you wouldn't really have another proven back, except for you have a a wild card that could be coming in for early for spring practice in January. As we reported first on Alabama Intel, Bo Scarborough, who is returning to Tuscaloosa County High School to take two classes, he, they're getting the university has appealed. He is uh, in good shape. He has an 18 on the ACT. If he passes these two classes, he should be eligible to come to Alabama in January. And his clock would not have started yet, Gary. And I think that would be good for Bo Scarborough. So you'd have Bo, and then you could bring if you could bring in a guy like Jovan Robinson. So you lose. Uh, Kenyon Drake and T.J. Yeldon, you could be bringing in two elite talents in both Scarborough and Jovan Robinson. No guarantee with Jovan, 
but it's something the Alabama coaches with Burton Burns taking over his recruitment, they will continue to monitor and recruit Joe Vine uh, throughout the process. All right, and to our lovely friends from the Plains, if you think Joe Vine and Darrell are definitely locked up for you, well, you just need to think again. Uh because it could go either way on both those guys, and it could very well go the other way, and uh, we'll be laughing and you won't. Well, it is 1030, and uh, we have managed to give you a two-hour show tonight, uh, not without some uh, you know, some difficulties of a start, but we worked through it, and we have gone from 830 to 1030 now. So we're going to go ahead and, and, and wrap it up. Uh, so for Thomas Watts of Touchdown Alabama Magazine, for Drew DeArmond of AlabamaIntel.com, and for myself, Kerry Clark, with BamaMag.com. Thank you again for listening to another edition of BAM's Radio on Blog Talk Radio. Roll Tide, everybody. Roll Tide.